Yo, what is up, everybody? Y'all know what time it is. It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined as always by my co hosts, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and guys, tonight's episode 19 titled Kansas City Rebel. Because in a few minutes, we got Kansas City Royals prospect Brandon Johnson joining us, and men. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about his time in the JUCO level. We're going to talk about being a national champion at Old Miss and now being a pro baseball player in the Royals organization. Jim, I don't want to mess around. Let's get right to it. Help me introduce and welcome on to the show with the biggest interview on podcasting this week, our man, Brandon Johnson. All right, Brandon, welcome to the show. How are we doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. We always love having defending national champ or still national champion on. Uh, but now, you know, obviously moved on to your next step, which we'll get into. But before we get into that, you know, we had Hunter Elliott on a couple weeks ago. And, you know, you're in a different spot than him. He's obviously coming back to defend the title. You've moved on. Um, and been drafted but for you has the feeling wore off yet uh I don't know if the feeling will ever wear off uh to be honest with you uh I mean you dream it all your life to become a national champ uh especially uh at a place like Ole Miss and that feeling is still with you uh it took a long time to even get that feeling to uh, to believe it that you actually did it so uh, I, I truly don't know if the feeling can ever go away yeah, Daniel, that seems to be the consistent answer. And I and I and I believe these guys. I've never I've never been a champion, Brandon, so I don't know. But most of you guys seem to say the same thing. It really doesn't ever wear off. And and I imagine so. I mean, you you accomplish something that's the whole reason you're there. So um, but you know, before your old miss days, let's take it all the way back, man. Where are you from? So I'm from this little old town called Cottondale, Alabama. Uh, it's about 20 minutes outside of Tuscaloosa. Uh, you didn't grow up an Alabama fan, did you? Uh, well, that's the thing. You absolutely, I absolutely did. Uh, uh, sorry to bring you. Yeah, I know. I know. You live that close to the university, though. You're kind of bred into it. All right. So probably, I got a question. Go probably ahead. a good thing Randy's not on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually where I was going with this. I was going to ask him right now who's winning, Alabama or Tennessee this weekend? Uh, see, that's the thing. Uh, I'm an Ole Miss fan. Uh, I, I am truly an Ole Miss fan now, but Alabama will. will as long as Bryce Young comes back, I have no doubt that Alabama will, will walk away with that. We will see. But, yeah, Randy's a Tennessee fan, so we ain't got to have the argument. I'm an LSU fan. Uh, Tennessee just beat yeah. the brakes off my team, so <laughs> I don't even care. But, uh, you know, let's talk about, you know, you're obviously from small-town Alabama. Man, what's the what's the family life like? I think I've seen you had some siblings and everything. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I, got, I, mean, I got two little sisters. Uh, you can call it like the, the American family growing up. Uh, we had a really good household, parents. Uh, they're great to me, gave me all the support I could ever ask for. Uh, they just wanted me to achieve uh, what I wanted to achieve. They gave me every resource I could possibly have. Uh, it's the best support system I could ask for uh, through this entire journey, whether it was high school, through college, and now at the next level. Uh, I know they'll always have my back, so it's nice to have that. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't get better than that. So your sisters, are they by chance athletes? Uh, yeah, so the middle sister, she's actually playing at Sneed State. It's community college in Alabama. She plays softball there. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, um, 
we see that you played all sports growing up and everything. When you were younger, was baseball your best sport or, you know, did it just become your best sport later? Yes, this is how I explain it. Um, Baseball was my least favorite sport. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely, football was my favorite. But a a 5'11", 160-pound white dude playing playing free safety in in high school isn't going to cut it at the next level. Uh, So it went football, then basketball, and then I just happened to be best at baseball. Daniel, uh, we are like 145 guests deep into this uh, podcast, and I found somebody who can – you know, I can relate to, I was 5'11", 160 pounds safety that, uh, yeah, that just wasn't working. So, but unfortunately, unfortunately I can't throw like you. So that, that doesn't help me out at all. I thought you were going to go the, the, the basketball route and ask him if he could actually hoop. He actually can hoop. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I've seen my man can't, he can do any, yeah. this was an athlete. We will get there. Um, you know, Talking about this, you know, being a multi-sport guy, there had to be, you know, athletes that you looked up to. Uh, was there any uh, popular athletes that inspired you, you know, no matter what sport it was? Well, you know, yeah, I think you're going to like this answer. It was actually Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was my – he was my uh, sports hero, as you will, growing up. Uh, I lived in Indiana for two years of my life uh, when he was with the Colts, and he is who I looked up to, uh, just how he controlled a team, controlled an offense. It was really fun to watch. So this makes, Alabama, this makes no sense. I, I know. <laughs> this, this makes no sense. Hey, I love it. Hey, you know what, Daniel? He reminds me of myself again. <laughs> this, yeah, you. I, I thought I was confused trying to follow who Jim's favorite team, and now, now I, I, I'm, I'm baffled. See, right. what happens, Brandon, is I'm, I'm really more of a player guy. Oh, I do have my teams, sure. but if a player moves teams that I absolutely love. Next thing you know, I'll be rooting for that team, and everybody just gets really confused at times. So, no different. I bet you were rooting for the Broncos with Peyton Manning, right? Uh, after I was. The, the, the second he left the Colts uh, and then he went to the Broncos, I was I was Broncos country the entire way. So, I, I was happy to see him go out on top. You, uh, you now, just you just bypassed the fact that he went to University of Tennessee, right? You just, uh, that, that, that doesn't even uh, exist. See, the thing is, I, I had his, I had a poster of him in my room, and my dad, he hated it because he couldn't stand Tennessee. So the fact that that, that he was my idol, uh, my dad had to get over it in some way, form, or fashion. I mean, Eli Manning makes way more sense here, Brandon, but it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, somebody <laughs> finally understands. So, uh, you know, talk about athletes that inspire you. Uh, did you have a favorite sports movie growing up? You got a go-to sports movie? Uh, remember the Titans. It is the greatest. It is the greatest sports movie you can ever ask for. Uh, just because not only with it being based on a true story and the time frame that it was in, uh, the lessons that it teaches is still so relevant now. Uh, and it was really cool to see uh, a true story or people like that actually come together over a sport uh, because it, sports are very powerful. So it was pretty cool to see that. Absolutely, no wrong answer there. So, uh, you know, we're talking about playing multiple sports and everything. Where did you go to high school at? So I went to a school called Brookwood, Alabama. Uh, we have one stoplight. Uh, we had one Mexican restaurant and one little uh, mom and pop shop. Uh, but it is it is my home, and I would never talk bad about it, that's for sure. One stoplight, one Mexican restaurant. Whew, that is small because I, I lived in a small town before I moved to where I'm at now, which isn't too much bigger. But, man, we had like four Mexican restaurants, so you only got one <laughs> saying something. 
Um, but no, I bet, see, it, I, bet it, I bet it was fire too. I bet it was so good. It, it, uh, I would 100% put that Mexican restaurant over any any of it I've had so far. Uh, they they all the they all the same to me. After I, after I was stationed in California, and you get real Mexican food, like you find out that it's completely different. Oh, it is. But uh, you know, you were a four year letter winner under head coach Jeff Bell in baseball, four years in basketball and football. Team captain in all three sports, 2017 all-region selection in both baseball and football. Man, I got to ask you, Brandon, how do you manage to play not just all three, but play them successfully and stay focused? Uh, I think one of the reasons was the opportunity. Uh, coming from a small town, uh, there's not too many quote-unquote athletes there. Uh, so it's not like you go to these bigger high schools where they don't they don't make you play one sport, but if you – if you want to excel in one sport, uh, you kind of have to let go of some. So being able to have the opportunity to be in a small town, uh, it, I think it helped a lot in that aspect. Uh, and then also just just the people around me. We had a pretty good core system, a group of friends that that wanted to push each other to be the best uh, in competition. I always believed iron sharpens iron uh, in any way, form, or fashion. Uh, so that was really nice in high school because I had that. So those are the answers I'd give to be how I was successful in all three. Yeah, and Daniel talks about this often because, you know, in Florida where he lives, uh, a lot of athletes just play one sport, you know, whether it's good year-round, especially if you're a baseball player, that's the focus. Um, do you feel like being able to play all three sports just made you, especially like later when you focus on baseball, still made you a better baseball player being an all-around athlete? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm one – you hear that the argument these days, uh, you need a you need to focus on one sport or the opposite of it. You can play multiple sports. I will be the biggest advocate to play multiple sports. Uh, you train your body to do different things. Uh, you train your body just to be an athlete. Uh, and a lot of times for a pitcher, that that is how uh, you get explosive, uh, even though it's such a simple, a simple step to throw in a baseball. Uh, having that athleticism sure does help. So I will always be an advocate of playing as many sports as you can for as long as you can. Yeah, absolutely. We we played multiple sports and we couldn't uh, agree more. So, but you know, you talked about football, and I, you know, I went through your Instagram and I seen uh, one of your posts about you know football almost being over, and you could tell just looking at the post how tore up you were that you know Friday night lights were not going to be a thing no more. How, just how much do you miss the Friday night lights? Oh, I mean, you, see, now you're taking me back to my uh, people telling me close the year foot, but but man, <laughs> there's there's nothing better uh, than when you you walk out of the the tunnel, whatever you want to call it, out of the locker room, and you see your entire town there uh, and seeing that support. Uh, it reminds you of like a college baseball atmosphere. Uh, you get out there and you see how many people are rooting for you, how many people are behind you, and you just can't beat that because you are you know you're about to go to war with your your bestest friends, your, your teammates, the guys that you worked with your, the entire offseason. Uh, you really can't beat that kind of atmosphere. Yeah, no but doubt. Let, let me ask this. So in, in a town like that, and everything shuts down and everybody goes to the game, like if you win or like you have like a, a, a big time game, are you getting like free stuff at the Mexican restaurant? Oh, like, oh, are they hooking you <laughs> up or what? Absolutely. Uh, see, we had this thing, we would go to the mom and pop shop. See, that, that was more of my thing. We'd go there and they give us free breakfast uh, the Saturday after a big win. So absolutely, it don't matter how sore you were, you made sure you got up and you were over there before 10 a.m. Uh, they treat you well. I mean, it's a great community. Uh, it's the Southern hospitality that you want to talk about. So any, even if you didn't win, the people always had your back. So it, it was it was a great great atmosphere to be around. 
Daniel, after the plug he gave to the restaurant being the best of the best, like they better have a dish after him. I'm just saying. I'm telling you, the the number the number nineteen. <laughs> the Brandon Johnson. What, what's your what's your number, Brandon? Uh, it was thirty-seven at Ole Miss, but the, the number the number thirty-seven, the 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 burrito, two taco combo. There you go. So you know, Daniel says something about basketball. Brandon, man, we have a lot of baseball dudes from all the SEC schools come on here and talk about. They were hoopers, man, and you know they always talk about that one time that they balled out, and then we find out from their teammates they mm-hmm. can't hoop at all. But uh, you know. Seeing you obviously played through high school. My question is not could you hoop then? Can you hoop now? Uh, it depends on the definition of hoop. I was always, and I am not afraid to say it, I was a system player. So my stats in high school, they were a solid uh, four and 12. <laughs> 12 assists and four, four points. I so was. You're a perfect running mate, though. Oh, it was. I'm the perfect running mate. You need somebody that you, you want to get your shots off in the open gym. Oh, you take me with you. I'll play your defense, and then we'll go down there, and I can make sure you get the. That, that's what I was about to say. Basically, he's like all the other guys, except he's a little bit more honest. He's straight defense. Straight yeah. defense. Straight defense. <laughs> that, I knew my way to get on the court uh, when I was when I was younger. Uh, so we we made that happen as soon as possible. Hey, I respect you for your honesty, but, hey, there's got to be that guy. In order for a team to have good chemistry, be able to run a fluid offense, play defense, you got to have that glue guy, and that's who you were. Um, so, you know, playing these sports, uh, at what point do colleges start to approach you, uh, in any of them or specifically baseball? Uh, so, actually, the first college interest I got uh, – see, take you back. I knew the only chance I was going to play college sports, well, at least in my mind, was going to be baseball. Uh, I knew my body frame for basketball or for football. It just wasn't going to happen, uh, realistically. Uh, but actually, the first call I got was a basketball, Division II, uh, still in college in Tuscaloosa. They needed a point guard, pretty much a back, uh, backup point guard, to play defense when their point guard came off the field and to pass the ball, to run their offense. So that was actually the first college offer, uh, really offer I got. And it was about junior year of college. I mean, junior year of high school. Uh, but baseball really picked up uh, going into my senior year, over the summer going into my senior year. And probably a, a lot different than a lot of y'all's guests, or well, some of them. Um, I only had two Division two offers mm-hmm. for baseball. It was a minimum uh, baseball offer. Uh, and that's just the kind of player I was, skill level. And I was perfectly okay with that. I was I was ready to go that route. And there's nothing wrong with that route. It's it's meant for some people. Uh, and that was the route that I went. Yeah, no, actually, I mean, we have a, a lot that goes both ways. I mean, we even have, you know, a former teammate of yours, Taylor Broadway, didn't have any offers at, yeah. at all across the board. So, um, yeah, you just never know how it's going to go. But with that being said, you know, what was the reason you chose Columbia State of the options? Yeah, so once I – I got registered at my division two at University of Alabama Huntsville. So then when I decided to, to transfer, uh, a big reason was I, I wanted to try to play with the big dogs. I wanted to try to play division one uh, baseball. And I felt Coach Korn, uh, he, had a, he has a really good program up at Columbia State. And the, really the biggest stat that stuck out to me uh, was he averaged 9.1 division one uh, division one players leaving his team a year. And he was there for 15 years. Uh, to me, I mean, that I just knew that was the best opportunity for me to develop and get to the next level. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had guys on and they, they, they talk a lot of the same stuff, Brandon, about the JUCO being 
you know, a great stepping stone, but also a, a place to find yourself, kind of see where you fit in, see where you stack up. Because when you move from that high school level, especially in, in a small town where everyone knows everyone, you don't know what's out there until you get out there. So you end up going to Columbia State. You went 3-0 and as a freshman. You had 58 strikeouts, a 3-1 ERA over, you know, 50 innings of work. Um, you then turned around your sophomore year and threw 29 innings and went 5-0. and uh, you struck out 51 and walked only eight. You know, talk to me about that JUCO experience because I don't think people really appreciate the talent that JUCO provides. And I know, you know, I I played JUCO and, you know, was able to move on. So I know, like, the Tennessee level of JUCO talent. Um, so I know, like, what you're dealing with at Columbus State. I mean, some – I mean, you, you asked me, and I can tell you somebody like Taylor Broadway uh, out of junior college. I can tell you Ben Joyce. Uh, I played against him back-to-back uh, -back years when he was at Walters, played against his brother, uh, Drew Redcart, who's now at Ohio State. You can go on and on about the players and the names that come from uh, junior college and that make it. And I think a lot of it, you put it right on now, is not only finding out where you stack up against these other players and against these talents, uh, but it's finding yourself. Uh, because junior college is not, it's not for the, for the weak-minded uh, because you don't get the, the glam, you don't get the – you don't get the fame or you don't really get the reward that some like division two or, or bigger, bigger universities can, can offer. Uh, so you go there and you really have to find your passion for the game. Or if, if you even have a passion for the game, I know some guys that were plenty good enough, but they just decided, you know what, this, this might not be for me. Uh, and that was perfectly okay. Uh, but junior college. Yeah. Um, I'm a, a huge advocate for it because it, it allows people to, to find a stepping stone to get to their next place in life. Rather, it is the, a Division one level or a lower level of baseball or just not playing at all. So let me, let me ask you this. I, I just look at the, the two seasons. Did you, yes. did you predict that you would be, you know, or had the success and find yourself, as you say, as quick as you did? Um, or did you think that, you know, it might be kind of rocky to start and then you kind of might balance out, but then you might overall figure it out? Uh, our coaches at Columbia State were very open with us. Uh, so going through that first season, I threw – I was about half a starter, half out of the bullpen. Uh, and he was just very truthful about how my play – how my stuff would play, uh, what kind of success I would have. And you can tell because in a junior college, a lot of people don't realize you have a full junior college uh, schedule. Uh, you play, you play division one, you play other junior colleges, you play these scout teams, uh, uh, pro teams. So you can see uh, where you rank against quality, quality games. Uh, so I knew I was going to have some success. Uh, didn't know what kind of level because you, you truly don't know what kind of level. I mean, you have first rounders who, who have bus seasons because they just don't perform. So it turns into just performance wise. Uh, so confidence wise, I knew I could do it. It was just all about if I could perform at that certain time. So obviously you have two very successful seasons. At what point do you start thinking about, all right, what's my next step? And then at what point do other colleges start coming in and going, hey, Brandon, like, I think you're the guy that we, that we need on our team. So for me, I got done with my redshirt freshman year, been my first year at junior college, uh, I mean, at Columbia State. And the thing about junior college is you're kind of always looking to that next step. Uh, obviously, you're, you're focused on what's in, for, in, in front of you. You can't look ahead too far. Uh, 
but it's still in the back of your mind because you know, at least for me, I knew I wanted to get to the next level, whatever it may be. And so you're always looking ahead. Uh, but I get done with the first year and my coach sat me down. He's like, look, there's some division one teams that want you, but if you want to get to the level that you want to play at, which is an SEC level, power five level, and you want to play with the best of the best, you need to come back for a year, do another year of development and make it. So then I get to the second year, I start the season and it ends up being the COVID year. That's why there's only 29 innings, it's 2020. Uh, so it was very strange. I had, I was talking to teams, but it was still a dead period. So the division ones weren't technically allowed to come watch me yet that season, during the season. They, were, they came and watched me during the fall uh, and you have your talks. So then you get to the season and then it, it all kind of went haywire because some guys didn't know what was going to happen. Did they have uh, space? Is their seniors going to leave? Are they going to have more uh, eligibility? Uh, so it was, it was a very uh, rocky road. Um, but a lot of the teams, they, they were all they're all transparent, which was really nice. This was, Jim, this was uh, pretty interesting to get the perspective from Brandon because we've gotten perspective from guys that were already at a school that were seniors or juniors, and now COVID happens, and now they have to decide, well, what is my next step? You, on the other hand, knew that you were trying to move to the next level and we're in talks of moving to the next level. And then all of a sudden, boom, this happens. And like now you have more wrenches that you have to, you know, sift through than a lot of other people because you got to decide, well, what school am I going to go to? And is there going to be spot for me? Because I don't know what the other people on that club are doing. So, you know, it, inevitably you 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 get old miss and, and they they reach out to you and you know, what, what was it about Ole Miss? Uh, yeah, so the thing, I wasn't allowed, not allowed, but we wasn't allowed to go on, uh, what's the look, tours or campus uh, visits. Visit. Yeah, campus visits. So I actually never been to Ole Miss. I only went once. I was 10 years old. I went to watch an Alabama game there. Didn't even really look at the, I just saw the field. Didn't really even think about it. I was 10 years old. Uh, really didn't focus on any of that. So I never knew the campus, never knew the, the town of, of Oxford uh, and even some of these other schools. Uh, I had no idea, never been there. And Ole Miss, it was truly the word of, of Coach Bianco and Coach Lafferty, Carl Lafferty. It was uh, solely based on relationships, uh, what they were telling me uh, and what I was sifting through what was going to be the best opportunity for me, just through talks. So you get there and then Obviously, you said that you didn't really go, you didn't do a visit, but all of a sudden now you choose there, you go there. Are you nervous? Are you excited? What is the emotion just stepping on that campus and going, oh, shit, man, like, this is kind of real now. I'm here, and now I've got to, like, put up or shut up. You see, I, I think the nervous and exciting feeling, I think it's one and the same. Uh, I think they go hand in hand together, personally, uh, on, a, like, a sports level. So when I get there, you have both those feelings. Uh, you're like, man, I don't know any of the guys. I don't know. I don't know what I'm stepping into. I don't know what kind of environment I'm stepping into. And I get there, and the first thing that they do is is give me a tour of the facility. It's the first time I ever walked inside the facility, and I'm just blown away. I'm like, oh my goodness. So this is what an SEC program. This is what they have to offer. And I was I was just mesmerized. And then they take me through the to the Grove. They take me through the campus, and I'm like, goodness gracious, this is beautiful. Uh, and then you meet the guys two days later 
uh, and you're like, man, some of these guys are huge. Like this is an SEC program. This is what it's supposed to look like. Uh, but then you meet uh, you meet these these people like Tim Elka uh, or Max Schofi, and they're so welcoming. But they're two different personalities. One's from Florida, one's from Chicago. Mm-hmm. You go somewhere like Columbia State, everybody's from Tennessee. Or you get one guy from Alabama or one guy from Georgia. Or I'm from Cottonelle, Alabama. I mean, how many people uh, do we get around around the the country? Uh, so the diversity was was huge for me. Uh, but it was a really cool experience to have when I first arrived. Yeah, I mean, the the nervousness and excitement, you're right, they go hand in hand, but obviously, you know, things got real really quick because, you know, you get thrown right into the fire and make your Rebel debut um, versus Texas. You were at Globe Life Field, you know, you threw basically, you know, scoreless innings with one hit, no walks. Um, What is it like, two things, what is it like knowing, oh, man, like, this is as real as it's going to get and against really, really like elite competition, maybe, and, you know, possibly the best competition that there might, that we might see all year. Um, And then having such success in a big league park, like what was that feeling like? Uh, The big league thing, it was awesome. Uh, Cause you show up the day before and you take BP on the field, you practice on the field. And you walk through, and as a kid, I went to the Atlanta games. Uh, I went to the old Turner field and you're in the stands. You see how big it is. Uh, you see the cool, how cool it is. But then you actually step on the field and now you're standing on the mound uh, in practice. You're like, oh my goodness, like this, this is a Coliseum. That's, that's how I treat it. Like, this is unreal. This is where you want to make it even at the next level. Not so much being satisfied with Ole Miss, but making it to the next level. It was like eye-opening. Uh, but it takes you back to when you were eight years old or 10 years old and you go to your first ball game and you're like, these people are higher of higher of normal people that you're used to. Uh, and then now you're one of them. So it was really cool. And then the second thing is uh, being thrown into the fire. We played two games before they were all top 10 uh, competitors and we were playing at such a high level. It was just really cool. It was a really cool moment to not only help the team, uh, but to feel, to feel welcome, to feel like you, you make it through the barrier uh, and you're one of them. So Daniel, it really Daniel, it's two years later and I'm still sick, man. Brandon, I had <laughs> I had tickets and was supposed to be there, but you know about the weather here. Anyway, I couldn't. I, my car was buried, and yeah. uh, I I couldn't get out. Luckily, Globe Life uh, refunded my tickets, but you know I I watched it on TV and it just wasn't the same. I wanted to be there and to watch the SEC versus the Big Twelve. I'm still sick about it, but y'all took care of business. It, it was awesome. I mean, the SEC took uh, took care of business all weekend, so it, it was a really cool it was a really cool situation for all of us to even be there. Well, you know, you you took that and you 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 ended up making eighteen appearances on the season, pretty solid. I mean, obviously, you know, um, the stats probably not where you want them to be. You get you you said it yourself: nervous and excitement. You get thrown into the fire, but obviously, you know, when you go from JUCO to an elite level, you know, power five division one team, like there's got to be a learning curve that, that comes with that. So I got a couple questions in regards to this, that experience. What in that first year, what was the, the thing that you learned the most? Uh, the biggest thing I learned is at that such elite level, like an SEC baseball, Every, not only every game, but every at bat, it is, there is no such thing as easy outs. 
and, and I ain't trying to knock uh, like junior college or high school level, but sometimes you run into players and they're just not as good as your, as the top end players. That That's just evident. But now you go to an SEC, everybody's good. Even the guy that's hitting 182, batting nine, he's just there for defense. It don't matter. He, he's at an SEC program for a reason, and he's in that lineup. I can't believe he uh, just called out Lane Forsythe from Mississippi State like that. <laughs> See, I, I didn't. <laughs> but but the, the level of competition is, is such higher than what you're used to, uh, and there's a big learning curve that come with it. Like for me, uh, like you said, it was a very rocky year. Uh, I didn't make my first SEC appearance until the ninth SEC uh, weekend. It was against Vanderbilt. But then I threw 60% of my innings from that weekend through Super Regionals. So it's it pretty cool. It was a learning curve for sure, uh, learning about yourself, learning about the competition, uh, and being able to handle it all in general. After all the learning that happens after that first year, you get a chance to probably sit back and reflect when doing that, going into the, the next year, what was the one thing that you felt, you know, after this first year, I really need to get better at this? What was that one thing that you felt you needed? Uh, it was the same thing that was holding me back that first year at, uh, at Ole Miss. It was uh, a breaking ball. Having a secondary pitch that I can fit into the zone uh, regularly to keep hitters off balance. Because junior college, you have a fastball that's 91 plus, 92 plus, A plus. You're, you're good. You're solid. Now you go to an SEC ball. If you only have a fastball that's that's 93, 95, they love that. They'd rather face that than a guy that is throwing 86, 88 with four pitches. Uh, so being able to to have a secondary pitch, uh, I knew that was going to be the, the biggest barrier uh, to allow me to get to where I wanted to be. Yeah. So you guys end up, you know, closing up the season with, you know, a super regional loss to Arizona. Um, you know, we – not to jump forward, but we know what the trajectory ends up being. Mm -hmm. But after that loss, what was the feeling like? And was was there just this overwhelming sense of hunger to get back out there and try to make your way back? Uh, yeah, you, you go home. Uh, obviously, the plane ride is miserable. Uh, you have to fly six hours, for, well, five hours, four hours, whatever it was, from Arizona back to Ole Miss. Uh, you get there, there's a welcome party there. People are telling you, good job, congratulations on the year. Uh, but then you go back to, to a couple of buddies' houses and you're sitting there and you're sitting around, and you're like, this can't be the end uh, because you're so close. You can taste Omaha, you can taste a trophy. And, and you sit there collectively and you're like, this, we're not going to allow this to happen again. Or we're going to make it because this feeling that we're going to have, we don't want to have it ever again. So, you know, our, our last Ole Miss guest, Hunter Elliott, he said you were his team captain for the Omaha challenge, uh, obviously moving into that, that second season, um, you know, in the fall as a captain, what was your draft strategy and you know, like how, how did that, that pan out for you? Uh, so I went for overall athletes. There's a lot of different competitions. You have some strength competitions. You have speed, swimming. I went for the most complete athletes uh, at that given, uh, I guess, slot value or round value that it was at. And also, when you get to the middle rounds, it's not even so much who is who is the best athlete. It's who's going to give you the most. So 80% of my team, 90% of my team was all freshmen. Uh, I knew they are going to give me their all because they had something to prove. 
they wanted to compete with everybody to show they're not a pushover. Uh, so not only going for all around athletes, but also get the young guys, uh, give them a chance, see what they have in them. So how'd that work out? Uh, I think we ended up finishing second, maybe third, uh, right around in there. Uh, there was just a few, I mean, you run into some, some gauntlets of like strength and you look over and you have like Kemp Alderman, uh, Ben Van Cleve, Tim Elko, and you look over and you're like, yeah, uh, my freshmen that are, that are six foot two, 180 pounds, lifting 135 pounds in the weight room, just not going to cut it against these guys. So we, we ran out of gas in some events, but we competed well. We had the champ himself on here, Derek Diamond. He oh, talked about his easy work, easy work. Yeah. Yeah, everything's easy work that comes to athleticism for Derek Diamond. <laughs> I've never seen it before. He, he, I, he doesn't do anything bad. I, I just don't know how to explain it. I do know this, Brandon. I actually watched the draft in person. I stayed after that game and watched. And, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out draft strategies and that and the other. And you were talking about who would give you the most. And so uh, Hayden Leatherwood's a multiple-time multiple guest, and he's actually kind of kind of like a little brother to me. And so <laughs> when I asked, I, I started asking around. I was like, what's up with Hayden going last? They're like, because he don't try. And they're like, we don't want him. <laughs> I was like, Hayden, that's a bad rep to have, dude. It, yeah. It's so true, though. I mean, you love Hayden to death. Uh, the big thing about him, he's just a gamer. Uh, when when Friday Night Lights show up, he's there. Uh, but Omaha Challenge, he's what? He's a fifth year. Uh, he, It's the end of the fall. His body's killing him. Uh, he, he knew he wasn't going to give you all versus a freshman that's just, just getting there. <laughs> interesting strategy i'm sure like everyone has their thing but you know as you guys move into the spring you you know we, we got to talk about your your season you uh you know the past season you went 41 and two-thirds innings pitch you had a one and three record you had 12 saves 4.36 era and 24 appearance um you know, we all know Ole Miss had struggles, you know, out the gate and, you know, kind of throughout the season, yourself included. But you caught your groove, you know, starting with the Governor's Cup against Mississippi State. Then you became kind of the really the go to guy to close down games um, and put together a lot of saves. So, you know, from the beginning of the year up until the, the end of that Governor's Cup, like what what was your you know, what was, what was the one thing that you were like, that was the one thing I did that, you know, made all the difference that made, yeah, made the change. So, so for me, and it, and you hate to say it, but it was like a lot of our season. You, I started out really hot. The same thing as our, as our team. Uh, I mean, I think I gave up one run in like my first, I don't know, nine appearance or something. So I, I was really feeling myself. And then we fall into that lull. And the way that you got out of that little, it wasn't really changing mechanics or changing this and that. It was, uh, Chris B sat me down and he was like, look, you're our guy. You've been our guy from the beginning. Just be you. Uh, go out there, uh, pitch with the passion that I pitch with. Don't change it. Stop trying to be too fine uh, and just let my stuff play against them. Yeah, I mean, obviously that one adjustment made all the all the difference. I mean, and it's really a mindset thing more than anything, just, just the belief in yourself, but, you know, having those guys behind you and coaches, you know, you know, validating that probably goes a, a really long way because you went on to have saves against the best teams in the country, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Arizona, Miami. I mean, like those are top tier, you know, championship programs. Those are all 
programs that start the season off saying Omaha or bust. Um, so I want to go to Coral Gables. I want to talk about the, the save down in Miami. Uh, what was it like going to their house and getting that save in the regionals against them? Uh, it, it was really cool. Uh, it was an interesting regional uh, because we had the, the tropical storm or cat one hurricane, whatever it was. We, we got backed up two days. Uh, so sitting around with the team, just, just coming off the high of even making it in general. And then we actually played a dogfight against Arizona that night against a team that pit us out last year. Uh, so it started there. Uh, we got the save. And then the next day we come out and it was like this, this persona or vibe around us. Like we're not going to be denied. Uh, and, I, and I'm not trying to put a knock on Miami or, or their atmosphere or anything, but, but we've been in bigger atmospheres uh, as far as a, a stadium wise uh, and fan wise. So you get into the game and it's a true pitcher's duel against their ace, against our ace number two or our 1A or 1B, whatever you want to call it, with Hunter Elliott. And we knew the second we got the lead and I got the call, I think it was in the eighth, uh, I knew it was, it, it was our time. Uh, we, had, we, were, we were steamrolling. We were feeling good about ourselves. And it was full confidence going into that game. Daniel, I didn't. I didn't really talk about it with Hunter because he wasn't there. You know, uh, he's a freshman. But Brandon was. When that committee put them slotted against Arizona out the gate, I feel. I feel like that was planned. They wanted that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the NCAA. Everybody knows they love good storylines. So why not put us against Arizona, who put us out the year before? Uh, Miami, who's denied Ole Miss twice of going to an Omaha that a lot of people don't know since 2008. Uh, and then, then on the other side. Who are we going to run into? Southern Miss and LSU. They love they, they love nothing more than a good storyline. So you, you see Arizona, you're like, oh, okay, this was no coincidence at all. But we loved it. It was nice. Well, you, you mentioned you guys, you know, at the beginning of the season, you started feeling yourself. But I think Tim Elko was quoted by saying, you know, they were asking him about this run. And he said, you know, don't let you guys get hot. Mm-hmm. And and basically, that's when you went on to finish off Arizona. You advanced to the Super Regional and absolutely, like, take a Southern Miss team that, you know, with all indications, like, the, and, you know, no disrespect, man, we said it on this podcast that Southern Miss could be the best team in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there probably was a time where that was, you know, was pretty true. Um, but you guys – you know, out outplayed them and, and really just just got earned it, man. You, you went out there and you just from, you know, top to bottom dominated those guys and you advanced to Omaha. Obviously, that's the that is the, the goal, obviously not the ultimate goal, but that's the step before you guys. All right, go. This is now the time. But before you go to Omaha, you, you got to talk me through the feeling. Obviously, you get the dog pile. Um, you know, are you a top guy? Are you a middle guy? Are you a bottom guy? Are you like, well, see, being a closer, uh, you kind of start preparing to be a bottom guy. Uh, that just mentally, you know, you go through your mental imagery, uh, all the ideas that go through your head, and you always want to be the last guy to throw the pitch. Actually, at Southern Miss, uh, Josh Mouse threw the last pitch. Uh, I think it was like we were up five. Uh, Coach B said, we're just not going to use you because uh, he was dominating. Josh Mouse, I think three innings, maybe eight K. It was unreal what he was doing at that time. Uh, so at the time I was in the bullpen, so I was a top guy and it was really nice. And then you get to the last game uh, and you actually end up getting on the bottom of the dog pile. But and 
the way I explain it, it hurts. Uh, you, you, you know, you think it's great until you have all these big guys on top of you, and then you have 2,000 pounds on it. It hurts a lot. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah, you just got to hope that the the feeling of, of jubilation runs through you enough to carry you until the end and of this dog it, pile. You know, it, it ran to me. Uh, it ran to me about 30 seconds when I was under the dog pile. And then I didn't feel it for the rest of the day. And then I wake up the next morning and my knee and my hip, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in pain right now. There might be something <laughs> seriously wrong with me. Yeah, Landon Sims and Logan Tanner the year before, because um, they both came on the show, they thought they were going to die at the bottom. They had to start yeah. screaming for people to get off. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you do. You you, you run into about that 20-second feeling, and then you actually realize, like, oh, my goodness, there's a lot of weight on top of me. So you, you let people know they need to get off in a hurry. Stop stop enjoying it so much. So, you know, we got to talk Omaha. Um, you know, Brandon, to be a closer in baseball, you really – you got to have a, a, a very, very short memory. Um, you know, you go in, you have a rough outing against Arkansas, but, you know, you're able to bounce back against Oklahoma. Talk to me about the ability to, you know, put aside the Arkansas outing, but then come back to face Oklahoma to win. Uh, I feel a lot of uh, a lot of that with how the season went. Uh, just because earlier in the year I had that rough patch, it was about four or five outings in a row that was bad, and I really had to sit down. Rather, it was with Coach B. I actually talked Taylor Broadway a couple times, uh, and understand that being in the closer role, yes, you do have to have that short memory, and I think it's a skill. It's not so much something that you you have it a little bit, but you can train it. You, you can tell your body and have the ability to train it. Uh, and being able to go through that adversity in the earlier in the year, it helped at the end because uh, you get done with Arkansas and then you get to the Oklahoma game and it, there is no, no past. It is what are you, what's in the moment, uh, what is in front of you at the time, and that's the best way to get over it. And I think that speaks to what Coach B's, uh, you know, talk with you about his belief in you because, you know, you had a bad outing before. It didn't, it didn't matter. He knew exactly who he was going to in that moment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, the belief that he showed me, but not even so much him, uh, the team. Uh, it, it was, I'm sure, behind some closed doors, some people, uh, but there's always conversations like that. But to me, and the vibe that I got from an average of the team was, you're our guy. Uh, you're going to continue to be our guy. And when you're on the mound, we believe that the win is coming. Yeah, man. And, and obviously, the win, the win did come, the, big, the biggest win of all. Um, you know, you, you go into that game um, against Oklahoma, and you know, between the two of you guys, probably the two hottest teams in college baseball at that point, um, well-deserved run to get yourself in that position, you know, to play for, you know, a, a college uh, national championship. But um, you were electric, you know, that entire outing. So, you know, I'm assuming, as you stated, you were at the bottom of that dog pile and you really didn't have a choice in the matter. But prior to that, when you're going into the last pitch, do you, are you? what are you thinking? Are you thinking, you know, I am just need to deliver a pitch, just let them hit themselves out? Or are you saying to yourself, like, this could be the last pitch and this could be the one, like, that, like, does something for me that really, like, allows me to tell a story for the rest of my life. So what was neat about that last pitch was it was a one-two count, and it was actually a pitch before that uh, that was fouled off. And it was fouled off of uh, Hayden Dunhurst's mask, and he fell back for a second. He stumbled. 
uh, in the in the play stop, uh, and I walked up to him. Uh, umpire gave me a ball, and I was able to walk out to the mound. And when I was walking out to the mound, and I was looking around, I saw everybody on their feet, and I was, and that's the first time I took out of the game, and I was like, oh wow, like I, I kind of understood what was truly truly happening in that moment. Uh, now, when you get back on the road, you kind of have to lock it back in and stuff, but you, you hear you hear the buzz, you hear it was almost like a ticking clock for an alarm to go off, like it was about to happen. So going into that last pitch, you just have this feeling like this is it, like this is the last pitch before that we're going to be champions forever. Uh, you can tell yourself, yeah, I was locked in, but being able to walk around the mound, uh, Hayden taking a breath, uh, look at him, making sure we're good, you, you kind of was able to embrace it a little more. And so you get the last out, you guys dogpile, at this point, you're at the very bottom, right? You're 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 taking it all in. You're 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 loving life for 30 seconds, and you're hating life. And then eventually, you get up, and you know it's. What is the moment like with your team? Is it like a sense of relief? Is it still just like a sense of excitement, or has it not really like in that moment? Has it really set in yet? Uh, it it didn't set in. Uh, I don't. I understand the moment now, but the way I explained it, definitely, especially right after, there was about a 20 minute period. I, I don't remember. I, I don't really recall what happened, what I did after the last pitch. Last thing I remember is it coming out of my hand and that was it. And then 20 minutes go by and you're headed to the press conference and you kind of sit down like walking. I was walking with, uh, I was walking with Hunter. And it was kind of like, oh my goodness, like this, this just happened. Like, well, we just won the, the national championship. So for me, it, it didn't set in. I had to go watch, I had to go watch the celebration off of the replay of the last pitch and see what I did and see what the team did, the dog pile and everything like that. Uh, it, it was a really cool moment, even though you really don't remember every little detail of it because you kind of black out. Yeah, and the question I got for you, you know, we've had so many Mississippi State and Ole Miss guests on and uh, happened to, to go to games for all of them, um, love both both y'all's teams. And, you know, for the state of Mississippi, because I lived in South Haven, you know, it's, it's such a cool thing the way baseball is here. And, you know, Daniel talked about Southern Miss earlier. So how cool is it, man? Like, even though they obviously are a rival, is it cool that Mississippi State and Ole Miss go back-to-back -back like that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can put the rivalry aside. Uh, those guys are still great guys over there. Uh, they're the highest level of competition that you can play. And being able to go back to back and seeing what it meant for the for the state, uh, people coming up to you, uh, both Southern Miss fans, Mississippi State fans, as much as they don't want to admit, they, they know it's good for the state of Mississippi because right now that's that, that's the safe haven of, of college baseball. That's, that's where you want to go. Uh, you have – back-to-back -back national champions. You have Southern Miss who hosted a Super Regional who was two games away from making it to a World Series. Uh, Mississippi itself is, is the king of college baseball. It don't matter really what university you look at. So it was it's a really cool moment to go back-to-back -back for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So you win it all. You come back to Oxford. You celebrate. But for you, you know, you've got to start thinking next steps. So how long before you – celebrations over and you start thinking about the next steps with the upcoming draft. So the last game was June 26. I want to say the draft might've been around July 17th. So, you knew you had about a two and a half week period. Uh, the call started happening June 28th. 
they they gave you about a, a day grace period and then all of a sudden the calls start happening and they're coming from all over and you have to set aside the celebration for a second and start making decisions okay where where do I fall what do I want to do at the next step so it, it happens very quickly that's for sure yeah and so the day of the draft you know um where are you at like how you know everybody's got their own set of what they feel comfortable with what were you with your family what were you doing yeah, so I was just sitting at the house, uh, just just surrounded by my family, my girlfriend, uh, just really close people that I knew had my back from the beginning. Uh, and I didn't want it to be a big ordeal uh, just because that is just how I am. Uh, I don't want it to be this big celebration because uh, that's just what I expected. So it, it was – I was just surrounded by some close friends and family. Yeah, so you get drafted by Kansas City um, in the ninth round. So, I mean, like you said, two and a half weeks, right? Like you just won a national championship and you feel like things can't get any better. And then here you are, you're getting drafted in the you know pros in the ninth round by Kansas City. So just talk to us about that feeling because, you you know, you're still on this high and now like somehow, some way you're getting higher. Yeah, so uh, when you when you first go to Ole Miss, every, well, really at any, any level of, of baseball, there's always that next step, that next step of you dreamed of when you was a little kid, the first time you put on T-ball uh, pants and you ran out there. Uh, you want to play professional baseball. You want to get paid. You want that to say, hey, what do you do for a living? I play baseball. Uh, you always wanted that, but you thought you were already on the highest of highs. You won a national championship. You thought you did it all. And then you get the call and you realize, okay, maybe I actually did just make it to the next level of what, what you thought was already the highest peak. Uh, it was a really cool moment. That is for sure. Yeah. And so many of you guys got drafted and it's just, it's just a really cool story for y'all to, not only be able to win a national championship, but then, you know, be able to take that next step. Um, you know, you've mentioned a lot of the guys and it's, it's, it's just really cool for, for Ole Miss. And like you said, um, and for the state as a whole, it just, it just really shows the talent that's coming out of here. Um, you know, you talked about as a kid, you know, the, that feeling, you know, is it, we talked about has the national championship wore off? Has it hit, you know, that you say when you're a little kid, you want to play professional baseball, you know, like, has it hit like, is it still, you know, kind of caught in the moment that you're a professional baseball player now? Uh, I remember when we went out there, I went to Arizona for about a month. And then I got sent to Columbia with the other draft guys. And that was in our, our draft in Kansas City. And you went and played your first game, you get done. And you're like, this is, you did it. Like you're playing professional baseball, even though you're, you feel like you're just playing the same game you did when you were 10 years old. Uh, that moment. It, it didn't hit you really until after the game uh, because it just felt like another baseball game while you were playing. But then afterwards, you kind of sit back and you reflect. And you're like, wow, it's a really cool, really cool thing that I just did. Yeah. And so, you know, we talked about Taylor Broadway earlier, and he's one of the many guys that we brought back on. Uh, you know, we had him when they were when he was playing for Ole Miss and then after uh, he played some minor league ball. One of the biggest adjustments that me and Daniel like to talk about with the guys is how you go from an SEC crowd or you go from Omaha in your case to then you go to the to the single A or the summer league ball. Like, what's it like when you go from those huge crowds to the small ones? Is it does it feel very awkward? Oh yeah, you know definitely. And me being biased, uh, like being a closer, you, you kind of live off the adrenaline. You live off the big crowd, the big moment. Uh, you know it's life or death for for an entire university. And then you go from 28,000 we were in Omaha, then you get shipped off to Arizona in your first game. There is no fans. Uh, you have coaches on both sides sitting in the middle of – sitting behind home plate and you're throwing against these other guys and you're like, 
I feel like I'm a little league park. It's just fences <laughs> along the side. There is no, there is no grandstands. Uh, some guys are wearing shorts. It, it was, it, it was, it was weird. It, that's just the only way you can explain it because it was just so different. So you kind of had to rewire your mind of how do I find that competitive edge again? Cause you go from the highest of highs to, to now, not the lowest of lows, but something completely different. Yeah, absolutely. So if I saw this correctly, are you playing for the Columbia Fireflies? Uh, yes, sir. So that's where our low 18, that's where I played for, I don't know, a month until the season ended. And how did you do in your time there? Did you get, did you get some run? Uh, yes. So, I mean, I had my few appearances. Uh, it was pretty much just to get your feet wet type of thing. Uh, you run into you, they, what they were really trying to get and what I was trying to get out of it was just a little taste. What is pro ball life? Uh, just so you're prepared a little more for the next level next year when you really do it for an entire season. Uh, I mean, it was different. Uh, the competition, you can have some high school guys who are 19 years old, but you also have guys that have been in the system for five, six years. And then you have guys that like us who just got drafted out of college. So you have all these different personalities, these different backgrounds. Uh, and it's a different kind of baseball. That is for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So my question is, you know, you, you talked about getting ready for next year. So right now, what does it look like? What is the next step to get yourself ready for next year? What do y'all, what do y'all do? Yeah. So I just got back home uh, this Saturday. Uh, we were in skill and trucks, uh, fall and trucks, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and now we won't go back until spring training. So now we'll get an off-season plan. Uh, they'll have our, our throwing laid out how they think we want it. Then we'll modify it. Uh, we'll have weight, weight training programs that we have to, to I guess, checkpoint. Uh, and it all is building up to spring training coming in March. Man, it seems like, you know, they got it all laid out for you. What are you anticipating it to be? grueling or nothing you know compared to what you faced in the past as far as off off season conditions yes yeah, i'll say it's something that we're already used to uh being at a program like Ole Miss and I'm sure like all of the SEC programs like I've talked to, to the guys that were drafted with us it's it's real structured uh but it's also it's on you uh it's not like they're going to be on you they're going to be on top of you calling you every day it's going to be whatever you put in is what you get out of it. So it really determines how much work do you want to put in when nobody is watching to see how ready you're going to be compared to the other guys when coming back. Well, after, after talking to you for an hour now, I have a feeling you're going to go back in March ready to dominate. And that is for sure the plan. So, man, that – that's that's the interview, man. But before we get you out of here, dude, we got to play this or that. It's like okay. game. It's a game we play with all of our guests. It's it's very simple. Uh, probably the easiest game you've ever played. It really is. Um, I give you two options. You choose one option or the other. All right. Can't say both. Can't say neither. You got to be decisive. Just stick to your guns and boom, pick Perfect. it. So you know, coming out of the gate hot. Pizza or tacos? Pizza. What's your favorite kind of pizza? Are you a deep dish guy, a thin crust guy, a Detroit no, style I, guy? I'm as original as it's going to be. I want a pepperoni pizza. I want it a little more saucy than cheesy, but I want original crust all the way through. You know what this leads me to? Did you win the pizza bowl, Brandon? Uh, I, I did not, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. I, I, mm. I know. Well, see, so, you know, 
I'm not a guy to piss blame on, but our, our team captain was Tim Elko, and he drafted. <laughs> so if, if there is a blame to go around, I put it on our manager. Does Does it make you hurt to know that while you were running, Hayden Leatherwood brought a whole pizza to my son, and he was eating it while watching y'all run? Well, see, no, that actually makes that actually makes me feel a lot better knowing who Hayden <laughs> Leatherwood is. I'm glad he didn't eat the entire pizza by himself and shared a little bit. So that actually makes me feel better. I mean, it. it... From what I hear, I mean, this is hearsay. Your pizza wasn't that good. So you didn't you, miss you that. Didn't, you didn't miss that. Good, good. So next question. What is more iconic in the old Miss lure? Is it Hunter Elliott's nice flow of hair or is it Tim Elko's nicely groomed lip room? I see. You have to go Tim Elko, but that's that's biased because it's Tim Elko. Everybody knows who the captain is. Uh, you get ESPN posted and they'll say the captain. Like everybody knows who Tim Elko is. If you ask me, Hunter Elliott's hair might become more iconic than Tim Elko's mustache. He says all his power comes from it. That, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's it's going to be like uh, Samson in the Bible. The second he touches <laughs> those, those luscious locks, there it's gone. He, it's it's over. I feel bad for Hunter at that point. You know, when we when we talked to Hunter, he said, you know. Don't be surprised if this hair takes on like a personality on its own and just becomes like this this symbol associated with Ole Miss baseball. <laughs> I, I feel like there's an evolution to this hair that's about to take place and we're going to just be blown away. He, he, uh, I'm just ready for Halloween when you look up and you see all these these little kids trying to have this luscious lock of hair like, like Elliot does. So I'm ready to see. Daniel, he's not a guest of the show, but you know who will put the proof to us? Uh, it'll be Jordan Beck from Tennessee because part of when he hey. got there, he had to cut off all his hair. And so that long mullet he had is gone. So we'll see if hair flow is where he got the power in that bat. We'll definitely see. Uh, Brendan, are you a beach guy or a lake guy? I go lake. I'll say lake. Uh, grew up around the lake more. Uh, beach is fun, but you can't beat a, a nice lake day. Would you rather play wiffle ball or dodgeball? Dodgeball. I love dodgeball. As, Especially when you're throwing heat like him. Yeah. yeah like, it makes life easier at that point. It makes the game a little easier. When when you're when you're reaching 90 plus on the gun, like you want to like light some folks up with a dodgeball. No, absolutely. Uh, we played it, we played in the Omaha Challenge all the time. And there's nothing better than you get these little position players who think they're so athletic and they catch everything and they think they're better than you. And you light them up one time, they're like, all right. 92 yeah. to the dome with the yeah, dodgeball. There's, there's no, no better feeling than that. Would you rather have a giraffe neck or T-Rex arm? Giraffe. Have to pick one. Giraffe neck. Could you imagine that sight on the bump? <laughs> Big giraffe neck. Just... You know how intimidating that'd be? Be pretty sweet. You could it cut would, the distance for sure. Oh, absolutely. Be getting down the mound with a lot of extension, that's for sure. Yeah. What about uh a concert or a sporting event? Which would Sport, you choose? Sporting event. I think I've been to two concerts in my life. Uh I feel like music's never been important to me though. So that's an easy choice. Uh I, I can listen to music in the car. You can't go watch a game seven uh every day. So, so for me. What what music like if you got in the car right now, what would be on? Classic rock. Uh, I grew up around it with my dad. That's what we listen to the radio every single day. 
that is the music that I that I lean to. All right. And so since you answered the question sporting event, what's the one sporting event that you have to go to? <sighs> there's if, a lot of buckets. There's any, a lot any any of them are an option. Like we're not uh, talking about money if you if you man, had to go to one. Man, there's a lot of bucket item ones. Uh Army Navy. Uh that 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 would be my choice. I think the Army Navy is one of the most iconic games, but like a Duke Kansas basketball game. Uh, or I mean, Duke North Carolina basketball game. Uh, that would be really awesome. Ohio State Michigan in the Big House would be another good one. If uh, you're gonna go, if you're gonna go to Duke North Carolina, you gotta go to Duke, right? Yeah, go to Duke. Yeah, yeah, you gotta go. You gotta well, go to Duke. What is great, Daniel? He's the first uh, guest that's actually been specific. Usually, people will say a, an event; they don't get specific, and you're picking rivalries even more, which so you're thinking deep into it. So, I, I like that. That's a little bit different, you know. Usually, somebody else said World Series, NBA Finals, you know, UFC fight, whatever. You got you went to college rivalries. I dig that. I I think about this all the time because it's on my bucket list, and the second I get done playing. Uh, playing sports uh hopefully it's a long career but once i get done each one of those bucket list items will get will get checked off at some point nice nice would you rather be a hero or a villain hero who's your favorite superhero oh, man. captain america nice would you rather win a million a hundred million in the lottery or make twenty million playing baseball. Make twenty million playing baseball. He just lied to you. <laughs> you would you would rather give up? All right, so, eight, so eighty million dollars. Well, no, no, no. You, you got to think about this. So hundred million dollars. All of a sudden, thirty five percent of it's going to be out of taxes. So now, now you're really only looking. I don't know, sixty five, sixty five million, and the, the the people that you know. The doors that you're in, the experiences, I, I don't think you can beat playing for $20 million. Look, let me tell you this, Brandon. Right? <laughs> I want you to listen closely. I'm listening. I don't, I'm not saying don't follow your dreams. But what I am telling you is that lottery money might be taxed, but it's guaranteed, baby. You <laughs> don't get it. He's, he's lying to you right now, Brandon. He nah, would pitch for $20 million all day yeah, long. I, I figured all day. I'd pitch for significantly less all day long. <laughs> Trust me on that. All right, Brandon, man, before we let you bounce, dude, is there anything you want to plug or promote? Anything you want to put out there for everybody? Uh, no. Uh, I just want to say thank you all for having me on. Uh, I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ just for allowing me to have this opportunity and this platform. Uh, but besides that, I really do appreciate you all. Yeah, man, anytime, man. Since you don't have anything to promote, I'm going to put it out there for people. People want to know. They want to know what Brandon Johnson is doing. Like now that he's got a little bit of time in the off season, like what, what what's he gonna be doing? So if you're wondering, go on over to Instagram at Brandon.johnson14. Or when the season pops up, go to at Casey Royals, because I guarantee you you're gonna see him there. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but eventually you're gonna see Brandon all over that that Instagram handle. Brandon, dude, it's been a pleasure. If there's anything we can do for you, reach out to us. We'd love to have you back on the show. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate it. Thank you all for your last night.
Absolutely. That's Brandon Johnson, everybody. We are going to take a quick little break. And when we come back, we got to, you know, shed some tears over the Cardinals. We got to talk Major League Baseball playoffs. We got to talk college football and pro football. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Q is your guy. Quintavious Burdett, who was once a guest of In Off the Bench and Ole Miss alumni who is with REMAX, is the guy who will help you get your home. He is the guy who just helped me get my home. I just closed on my house a few weeks ago in the South Haven area, and Quintavious is the one who set the whole thing up. He is the man. He is one of the top, if not the top, realtor in the Mid-South area. You can get a hold of him at 662-292-7136 for all your real estate needs. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We've got to talk headlines and starting off, leading off. We're going to talk the tragedy of the MLB playoffs, the Cardinals, Jim. And I know you don't want to talk about them, but we can't be like that. We got to discuss it, man. Obviously, they, they go and, you know, they have Philadelphia. Um, on paper should be a team they beat, but you know, have a tough time really have game the game in hand, game one in hand in the ninth, and just the wheels fall apart, man. Like I felt like that was really the bad omen that was set and kind of you know set the tone for the you know game two as well. Yeah, I mean, a game is not over until it's over, but, like, you know, we were group texting in real time, and it just felt like, you know, when Helsey came in, even though he came in in the eighth, you know, going into that ninth, the 2 nothing lead, you know, it just – it felt like we had game one in the back, and it, it just shows that, you know, um, from a Philadelphia perspective, man, that's why you don't give up and you, you keep fighting. And, and then, you know, it's like it, – it was two to one and then it was three to two. And it's like, all right, man, just got to get out of this inning, give ourselves a chance. And the next, thing you know, it's a six spot. And it's like, okay, now, now it went from like, we thought this had this in the bag to like, there's no way we're, we're going to get that in the ninth. And so, uh, yeah. So you lose game one like that. Um, it's absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, you know, it's not over, but I mean, when we're texting, man, you, I mean, did you have that same feeling as me? Like, I mean, we got this game one's in the bag. Yeah, I mean, just the the way that the game went, the way, you know, we were pitching the ball, we were defending it well. Nobody was hitting the ball relatively hard. I mean, like, you felt like all we had to do was go and throw strikes. I mean, you got a guy who's throwing, you know, high 90s, almost touching 100, and he can't control it, man. Um, the walks, you know, get the better of you, and before you know it, like you said, it's it's – a six run spot and it, it's you know in a matter of what i felt like was you blink your eyes and boom there it is six runs and then you know going back you know in the bottom half of the ninth trying to go oh man we got to make up that deficit and get over the shell shock of that it just happened so um it wasn't how you know it wasn't how you wanted game one to end, but it would have been nice to hang on to that one. And, you know, at least from from what we gather, if game two goes the way it does and there's a game three, and I think, you know, what sucks for me more than anything is you 
the guy that is your October guy doesn't even step foot on the mound. Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, you talking about guys, you know, um, Randy not being here, but the techs coming through in game two, like all season, you know, Arenado and Goldsmith clutch, man, big time, you know, MVP guys, like, and they're nowhere to be found when you need them most. And that just can't happen. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't go into off seasons and you don't acquire these guys. Um, I mean, you acquire these guys for moments like this to carry you through and to be the guys that that are your go to guys when it comes to postseason play. And yeah, you're right; they were they were basically non-existent in those two games. And you know, I guess you got to tip your 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 hat to. Philadelphia. I mean, they they obviously had a plan coming in and and executed and and won two games in a row on the road. So I mean, it's definitely not an easy feat. You know, Bryce Harper does what he does in Game Two, and I think that's when I kind of started seeing the writing on the wall. Was oh man, like this this isn't going to end well. Well, I I did not. I in the bottom of the ninth, man, when Yachty's going to possibly be the last out. And he gets the hit to put him on first and third. You know, obviously Tommy Edmonds not a home run hitter, so I'm not thinking walk off at that point. But for Yachty to get a hit in his final at bat, um, possibly. But yeah, and you know he struggled at the plate all season. So for him to get a hit in that moment, I felt like okay, you know what, man, something's fixing to happen here. Um, like uh, Kelsey get another touchdown. Uh, hey, sorry. <laughs> sorry i saw it <laughs> anyway uh you know i felt like something was fixing to happen here and um you know unfortunately it didn't and and that's you know you love to see pool holes and um yachty both in their last two at bats by the way get hits um you know you don't go out on a high note in the sense of your team winning but uh you know it, it is i think it it would be a nice feeling for your last uh, at bat to be a hit and especially in yachty's case he could have been the final out that went home but um yeah, like you said, the writing kind of was on the wall, and it stings, man, because you won your division, you hosted, and, um, you know, a Phillies team that just on paper isn't better, obviously, you know, um, it's easy to say something like that when they beat you, but th- th- I don't think that they were, and they and they came in to, you know, we had home home field, and, and they beat us, and, and so as Randy, you know, is texting me today, they're scary going forward, man, because um, you know how it is. It doesn't matter what sport it is. We're just talking about it with Brandon Johnson and Ole Miss. Like you get in and then you find your stride. And next thing you know, you could be the scariest team to play. Yeah, it's um it's tough that the outcome was what it was. Um, obviously it would have been nice to see the matchup between the Cardinals and the Braves and have the Cardinals uh made it through and let's say they lost the series to the Braves I think we could have lived with that um but you know looking at at our picks from that wild card (laughs) round dude we were we were bad we were we were very very bad Randy is the only one that that picked the series right and he went with the Mariners and um you know it just goes to show you like baseball the unpredictability the team that's hot can can have a chance and you know all bets are off when it comes to the favorite um 
but obviously now the matchups are as follows. You got, you know, in the National League, you got the Dodgers taking on the Padres. Um, you got the Phillies taking on the Braves over in the American League. You got the Astros and the Mariners, and then you got the Guardians and the Yankees. So, um, you know, Jim, looking at the Guardians and the Yankees, the Yankees haven't played in a few days. They're now getting a Guardians team who, you know, like the Phillies, you know, it's hot. Um, I'll say this. I think the Rays were beat themselves. I think they got, you know, and Kevin Cash is notorious for this, but I, I believe he's, he's a great manager. But um, the Rays scored, you know, one run in 24 innings and they refused to bunt the baseball when they got guys on base to lead off innings in the 11th, in the 13th, and in the 14th. Um, you know, and in the 14th, there was a uh, leadoff hit, didn't bunt, ended up, guy ended up stealing second, or then there was a base hit or, or something funky to where it ended up being first and third with two outs when it could have been, you know, a run scored with one out. But um, there they are, you know, out of the playoffs, just like the Cardinals. But you know, let, let's start with the, the Yankees and the Guardians. And who who are you taking? I'm taking the Yankees. Um, you know, they've had their ups and downs, but I just don't think the Guardians have the the pitching or firepower um, to top the Yankees. And so, um, I think this is one of those times where I don't think the Yankees are going to stumble. I don't think this is the team that's going to beat them. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I think the guardians are, are not, are, are an inferior team. The only thing scary about the guardians is they're kind of playing with house money. They're, they're playing against a team where everybody thinks they should lose. And, you know, there was potential that everyone probably could have I mean, you know, argued that they should have lost to the Rays, but didn't. They were a team that, I mean, look, go back when we talked about it when the season started, we did our predictions. It was the White Sox, or the really, we were picking the White Sox, and then the Twins, you know, as the season was going, you know, we said the, the Twins were holding the lead. We're like, it looks like it's the Twins division, you know. They don't look like the White Sox are going to challenge them. And then if you remember, like, you know, fast forward, like a month, all of a sudden we're like, where the Guardians come from? And they held on. So, I mean, you know, they've been, they've been you know, overcoming the odds all season. So, you know, they, they probably like this spot. They, they, they've been here all year. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing to lose. Um, taking on, you know, a team that probably has more pressure than any, really, to, to win. Absolutely. Um, so, um, you take the Yanks. I take the Yanks. Randy you know, is not here. He submitted his picks. He's taking the Yanks, man. Um, moving and looking at the Astros and the Mariners, this is an intriguing matchup to me. I mean, whether it was the Mariners or the Blue Jays, I think I would have uh, picked this one as the the series that is the most intriguing. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Mariners or the Blue Jays, whoever it would have been, it's obviously the Mariners, but I think once again they're playing really good baseball at a really good time, and the Astros, you know, are the team that kind of slides under the radar a lot. You know, here they are, boom, back in postseason. 
back with a number one seed, back with a chance to, to make a run. So with that, um, I'm actually going to go with the Mariners because I just can't, I just don't have it in me to pick the Astros. Well, I'll say this. When you look at the studs that are on the Mariners, they're all young cats, right? And you know the mentality of those guys. Um, they're not scared of the Astros. Um, um, you watch the Mariners play. They're very fun. They're very loose. Um, and that that's a scary thing to go against because, um, you know, another thing we're kind of talking about the house money, when you're playing with an attitude where you don't care who you're playing and we're going to do our thing and we're going to play our game, um, that that's a scary thing to, to face. Um, the problem is, you know, we just, like you said, it may be flying on the radar, but we know. We talk about it. We know how good the Astros are. Um, and so it, it's just hard to pick against them. Oh, you know what, though? I'm going to ride with you. You know what? I, even though let's I don't go, even though I don't believe it, I, let's, let's go Mariners, man. Nice. Nice. All right. So let's uh, move over to the National League. I'm going to assume Randy had the Astros, right? He he did. He took the Astros. Uh, he probably went all ch- – no, he didn't go chalk because I know where he went in the one series. Never mind. Keep yeah, going. So, um, you know, Dodgers, Padres. Um, I'm taking Dodgers for a number of different reasons, but the biggest reason being they are flat better. <laughs> Not only are they flat out better – um, the way they have demolished the Padres all season, like, I, there's just, you know, you could talk about they, the Padres won the series before and knocked off a big team in the Mets and all that. I don't know. It's, this is just like big brother, little brother. I just don't feel like they're going to have a shot. Yeah. So you're taking the Dodgers. Randy took the Dodgers. That brings us to the last series and probably the one that you're, most intrigued about we got you know an off the bench guest austin riley and the braves uh taking on the phillies so um who who are you taking and why uh i'm gonna take the braves because they're just a more complete team when when you look at strider and more i mean they got dude they they actually had um per analytics the best pitching staff um in baseball and then when you add on top of that, that lineup, um, and, you know, Austin did post uh, highlights of last year just to remind people, of, you know, of what they did and to get ready. And, you know, obviously, you know, Freeman isn't there, but um, you have you have Olsen and you have Acuna healthy now. Um, would you Would you say that they're a better team this year than they were last year? Having Acuna healthy, you don't have a Freddie Freeman. You don't. I, I will because of the, I will because of the I will because of the pitching. Um, I mean, when you look at how Spencer Striders came on, um, and so when you got three legit guys pitching with that lineup, and, and they're well rested, um, I just yeah, uh, the the Phillies, great you know great momentum knocking off the Cardinals. Um, but I, I just think the Braves are a very complete team. Like, and, and I really want to see the Braves and Dodgers uh, for what's really a rubber match as they've met the previous two seasons and one has won each one. So, you know, with that, you're taking the Braves. I'm taking the Braves. Randy is taking the Phillies. And I think he's 
just basically going with the hot hand. Um, obviously, they're playing well right now. They um, beat the Cardinals two games, you know, on the road to do it. But, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, are you all for chaos, or would you rather it be, you know, Astros, Yankees, Dodgers, Braves? Um. Well, I want I want the I want the Mariners to win, obviously. But if it was chalk, Daniel, I wouldn't be mad because those four teams are so good. Um, we're gonna get the best possible matchup with the best possible baseball. Yeah, I think when you from a baseball standpoint, when you get Houston and New York battling it out to go to the World Series, that's that's a great like. Those are the two best teams in the American League. Like, why would you not want to see that? Um, then you get the Dodgers and the Braves, you know, two storied, you know, franchises in the National League, the two best teams um, in the National League. Like, once again, why would you not want, want to see that? So I, I, I think no matter what happens, if it's chaos or if it's shock, I think it's, it's a win for, for fans. It's a win for baseball. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. So, you know, we'll get postseason baseball unlike any other, but, um, <laughs> you know, moving, moving away from baseball, we'll get into college football. Um, obviously Jim, you had an opportunity to go down to Baton Rouge. Um, you, you got to watch LSU take on Tennessee and you know, obviously the game went the way that it went. You picked LSU, you wanted belief, but you can see quickly, like, why, you know, Tennessee won. I mean, it, it, I don't think you were shocked or surprised that Tennessee won, maybe um, by the score, but I think most people believed that Tennessee was, was going to run away with that. But, you know, from your standpoint, what, how was the game and, and what is your view on LSU now moving forward? Um, well, first, you know, I had to clear it up because, uh, you know, I had to screenshot the, the text that I had sent to Randy earlier in the week and said, no matter what I say on the podcast, because it was before our, our Wednesday episode, um, I said, no matter what I say on the podcast, and I said, no matter what I say on social media, I do not believe LSU is going to win this game. And so when the Tennessee faithful, which run deep on on Twitter, you've heard me and Randy talk about they they are the deepest and they do come the hardest. And are writing me, I had to share that screenshot and explain to them that I never thought we were going to win. That I've naturally talked crap because it's what I do. And who doesn't support their team? Who's going to go say their team's going to lose? So I always thought Tennessee was going to win, but the problem was I never thought they were going to win like that. But before we talk about the play on the field, I messaged you guys. I sent you, I sent you pictures and video. Um, that's my 14th game in, in Baton Rouge, Daniel. And um, at most, maybe seen 20% of an opposing fan base. Maybe. That's, that's maybe being generous. This thing was legit 60-40. Anybody wants to argue with me, they're lying. Tennessee put out a video that showed it to verify it um dude they came deep daniel i've never seen a fan but and you can it shows the excitement that tennessee has after uh you know a long stint of being down but 
they took over the streets of New Orleans, Baton Rouge. They came into our stadium. Um, it was it was more electric on their end, and and so then you get to the game, and Daniel, we fumbled the opening kickoff, bro, and they score a touchdown, like thirty seven seconds. I can't remember the exact thing, and it kind of hits you right then, like, um, we're definitely not winning this game, right? Not to be a pessimist. Um, because uh, you're behind the eight ball. They, they got seven out the gate. They're going to get the ball to start the second half. The environment's rocking for them. Like, this was this was a disaster. And I, and I think the problem was, Daniel, um, you know, I go to that game knowing that I don't think we're going to win, but I think it's going to be fun, right? And never at any point, I can legitimately say, Daniel, never at any point was it fun. Because, like I said, we fumbled the opening kickoff. They go up seven nothing. We get stopped. They score again, and I mean it's just it was a beat down. We get we get stopped on multiple fourth downs. Um, you know it's just it was bad. And and Daniel, I can't not you know I don't like to knock players. It's something that I try not to do, especially these college kids. But you know I've I've been on record on here since before week one and then after week one. Jane Daniels is – I don't even think he's the second court coming of Jordan Jefferson. I think he's worse. Um, Daniel, how many – Harsh harsh words. Daniel, I, I told you about this at the Mississippi State game, and it happened again. I've never been in a – I was talking about things I've never seen in a stadium. I've never seen receivers running free down the field and the whole crowd yelling that they're open and the dude, dude can't see them. Like, how does everybody in the stadium see them but you? And it was what me and Latrell talked about in our messages as a Tennessee player watching tape. He'll look at his first option, and if it ain't there, he's running. And in and in this league, you know, against the the lesser teams, yeah, you can take off and run. Not against good teams. Not not you know take over a game and run. It's like you're not Lamar Jackson. Um, and so it was. Just, I just the offense is not very good. And then Tennessee. Overall, I'll, I'll end with this, Daniel. Tennessee's legit. Regardless of how bad ten, or LSU was, um, I do believe Tennessee is that legit. And even though it was an 11 a.m. game and it wasn't a packed-out LSU crowd, they did come in there and they beat the dog crap out of us. And I think they have um, – we talked about this with Brandon in regards to baseball, talking about confidence. They got all the confidence in the world um, – and they're going to be at home with Alabama coming to town. So I think Tennessee's for real. I think LSU is not. I'm nervous going forward. But um, I'll tell you this. I did get to sit up in the suite and eat for free. And so I stress ate, Daniel. And you better believe I had four, I'm not lying, four bowls of jambalaya on the house. So I at least had that going for me. Well, it seems like if anybody won, you and Tennessee won. <laughs> um, but, you know, looking at, at my team, um, it was a it was a rough weekend for me. You know, when I look back at Memphis, they basically gave the game away. Um, game in hand going into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, it's. 20 to 7 going into the fourth quarter 
And so, Jim, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. If you didn't know the score and I said, hey, man, Memphis went up, you know, was up 20 to 7 going into the fourth quarter and they scored 12 points in the fourth quarter, what would you say they would have won or lost? I'd say they won. Yeah. Well, you know, they didn't. Um, there was a just some things that I – I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I try to talk myself off of the Silverfield's not the guy ledge, but I just can't, man. They're, the adjustments and the the play call and the clock management and the going, you know, for two and, you know, the special teams being bad. Like, I just, like, I'm trying really hard not to pen it on him, but I don't know where else because i feel like when you give up 26 and and i'll say this memphis fourth quarters have been bad in general um but you lose a game to a conference rival that you know is a big game on your schedule and losing it the way that they did was very disheartening and leaves a really sour bad taste in my mouth I mean, I can't even say – here's the problem, Daniel. So, we're at – we're at Superior um, Bar and Grill. I'm with uh, the LSU players and their dads. And, and, you know, find out, uh, you know, George Cruz is actually alumni of not the University of Memphis. He refused to say it. He's alumni of Memphis State. But we're watching the game, and when we leave out, it's exactly what you were talking about with if you asked me what would I say happened. When we left, we thought Memphis had game in hand, bro. And then y'all's text group thread starts going off. And then I pull it up on GameCast, and I'm like, okay, they hopefully Houston doesn't get this onside. And they got that onside. And then I'm delayed because then Randy texts, they're fixing the score. And I'm like, this can't be happening. And so, like, I'm not even getting to see it. And, I mean, I'm obviously – probably glad but man like when we left out of there this thing was over to us yeah um i don't know what they're seeing on local radio but it it's got to be some of the same sentiments that you know i've heard and seen you know through comments and a lot of it is directed at ryan silverfield yeah, no, um, lo- local radio I listened today, um, it's across the board. And then they took callers, which, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. They took callers. The callers absolutely felt that it was on Silverfield. You know, and and during the post-game press conference, you know, what aggravates me the most is, you know, Silverfield is asked, you know, about the game. And, he, you know, he says, before I answer any questions, like, obviously this is, not where we want to be and a lot of coach speak and he takes the blame like he's like i i you know i'm the guy like i gotta i'm responsible for us losing this game but then other questions are asked and the blame is constantly put on other people or other facets of the game um and he has a explanation for everything but just not good so I mean, I'll ask you this. I'm not a conspiracy guy, you know, but there are some people out there that believe that he was hired to fail, to do just this 
um, and not, you know, excel. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I feel like that's reach, and I don't think anybody just necessarily wants anybody to fail, and I don't think a program wants to, especially when you've gotten to the heights Memphis has, to um, to take a step backwards. Um, I just – I think maybe they just made a bad hire, plain and simple. Not that they wanted him to fail. I think maybe he's just not the guy that they thought he was. Um and it's not like you could say this is a one-time deal. We've had so many conversations, uh, all three of us, about just some of the bad decisions along the way over the last couple of years. And and so it's not like this is a first-time thing. And um, I don't know, man. To me, this is the kind of – this kind of loss, it, it puts you on the hot seat in the sense of, um, you know, they're not talking about firing them this moment. But now the rest of the season – um you're under the microscope right like he kind of was a little bit you know after mississippi state because people wanted to see how they responded and even though some of the wins were ugly they won four in a row so he kind of got himself out of that and it's like and so now you've putting yourself into where well there's big expectations from memphis um you know they could possibly still be competing for this conference and then you go out and do this and, and so i think he's under the microscope and you know you're putting up the schedule now like I mean, first thing you got to do is you got to come out and get this win immediately. Like, you have to bounce back and respond. But if if you have a stretch where you lose, um, you know, three out of four, or, you know. Here, here's what I'm going to tell you. The schedule gets significantly tougher. Right. Um, they go to East Carolina next, and that's notoriously a place where we haven't played well at. Same thing when we go to Tulane, notoriously a place where we haven't played well. As a matter of fact, the last time we went to Tulane, I think we got shell-shocked by their quarterback and made this dude look all world. Um, and then you got UCF coming in for freaking homecoming. Um, you know, and then you got a very good Tulsa team. Um, you got a cupcake in there at UNA, and then you end the season with SMU. So this schedule doesn't get any, any easier. Um, and, you know, if you play like you played against Houston, you have the opportunity to be in the game, but ultimately you are probably going to lose. So, um, yes, the season is still well in the reach of making it to a American championship game, um, but they're going to have to make some definite strides on slowing down teams in the fourth quarter. Since, you know, they're not part of our predictions, um, when you're looking at that schedule being harder, um, what are you – down the stretch, see, there's six games left. Well, give it to me now. Just – you don't got to – you don't got to run in detail each game. Just what, what is – what is the – all right. Or what – you know what? Instead of what do you think, what do you – what do you optimistically want? Obviously, you want six and oh, but, like, what do you realistically think can happen and want to happen with this remaining six? Uh, four and two in the last six. And I, and I think and I think that's got to be the goal, right? I mean, that's that's the realistic. If you're if you're Ryan Silverfield, obviously, like I said, the players are thinking we're gonna win all six. But from Ryan Silverfield, if he if he's logically thinking, he's got to be thinking we got to go four and two in these next six. Yep. 
And I think if he go, and I think if he goes worse, that's when we're going to start having that conversation I was talking about. And especially depending on who the losses are, you know, if you, if you, if you lose to the teams that you, that you expect to, you know, but I mean, you know, for instance, um, you know, UCF that, that happens, right. Like, but like, I don't know. I watched, uh, I watched Tulane the other day. Um, I mean, that's the game you should win. Obviously, you know, UNA, like, if you lose those games, I don't know, man. I don't know how good ECU is. Uh, obviously, we know that uh, um, Tulsa can play. We watched them go toe-to-toe with Ole Miss, so that's actually a scary game. Um, it's on ESPN, too, as a matter of fact. Not yeah. the second ESPN, but ESPN also. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't want to hit any more on this it's it just brings up negative feelings i, I want to look forward to um next week's game going to ecu so if we can have a good showing there and turn it around you know my feelings might change a little bit um but we'll see but recapping last week's games uh from college football um jim it, it was a, a rough you had a rough go at it man you picked lsu in the first game you didn't get any points randy and i both picked tennessee we got a point uh we all got points for mississippi state you and randy got points for tcu uh over kansas i picked kansas so i do not get a point uh you picked uc or utah and i picked utah we both didn't get points (laughs) y'all gave me so much grief for not sticking with ucla and they took care of business now ucla takes care of business and then uh, you went with Florida State and North Carolina State ended up with the win there. And, and I need to talk to you about this. Did you happen to see the play that could have made all the difference in the game where the um, the punter bobbles the punt and then runs out to the right? I he did had, not. He has 30 yards. He only needs 10. He has 30 yards of green grass in front of him. Like and they and they showed they showed it over and over again and they and they show they showed where he could have just took off and then he punts it and then that would be the drive that Florida State would go down to North Carolina State um, when North Carolina State got the ball back but they could have easily reta- uh, retained the ball like that is your moment as a punter man like you like you got another McGreen grass take off brother like I think he was so scared yeah. and rattled because of you know. Of the messed up snap, I don't even think his eyes were upfield because there's no way that they that he didn't see it. Yeah, it's um it's a different situation to be in, especially when you're but not you. But you punted. Hey, if you hey, if you looked up and seen that green grass, you're taking it, ain't you? Yeah, I mean because the the first initial inclination is to grab the ball and punt it. All right. If you then go, oh man, like I am now on the run trying to find a spot clear enough to kick and then now you're seeing green grass like i'm tucking the ball and running it bro i'm 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 getting after it i mean i believe like a college punter when that's all you do is punt like that should be what you live for is the opportunity to do that um but he didn't you know long story short but they and he cut and he cost me and he cost he, he cost you um but last week uh jim you got two right you got a measly two randy had a good week you got five right i had a okay week i got three right um when it comes to college picks 
that puts Randy in first with a total of 21. And you and I are now at 19. So Randy's got a, a, a two-game lead when it comes to college. Um, but there's always this week. And we got a pretty decent slate of games, I would say. Um, so let's let's get into that. Obviously, Randy's already made his picks, but uh Penn State and Michigan. Who are you taking? Michigan, man. You know better than that. What are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's the consensus, you know. You know, I really I really want to pick Penn State just to have an opportunity to gain something on you guys. Um, but I'm I'm gonna go Michigan for this one. Um Alabama, Tennessee. Obviously, we know Randy's taking Tennessee. Who are you taking, Jim? I actually want Tennessee to win, but because Randy has gained that lead, um, I'm going to go Bama. It's not because I want Bama to win. It's not necessarily even because I think they're going to win, but I'm trying to get a point. So this will this will be a probably a very unpopular opinion. This is my hot, hot cake, hot take. Give me Alabama big. Ooh. Big. And, and by big, I mean obviously they're they're on the road and they're like big and like 20 points big, not like 50 points. Mm-hmm. Um, but but give me give me Alabama big to win that one. Um Oklahoma State TCU, who you got? Randy's taking TCU. He's staying on the the horn fro- horn frogs like bandwagon. They're hot right now. Had game day, went into Lawrence, picked up a win, and now they got, you know, the fighting Gundies. You know, who who are you taking? Oklahoma State. You know, I this is the game. You know, I said it a couple weeks ago and I took Oklahoma State anyways, but this I think is the game where I'm going to pick Oklahoma State. So give me Oklahoma State, and I think they're going to disappoint us. <laughs> There's always the one game on their schedule that they disappoint us. So but as of right now, if these picks play out, Daniel, with through the first three picks, we would be tied with Ray. We'd have a three-way tie. Yeah, and and, and hopefully that, that's the case. Um, so with that, North Carolina State Syracuse. Um, this is a ranked matchup. That's why I put yeah. it on there. Surprisingly. Is Syracuse still undefeated? Uh yeah, five and oh, five and oh Syracuse is is this is an ACC showdown. They're a three and a half point favorite at home. Okay, I see the the Qs. Okay, okay. Um, you know, I'll start this one off. Randy's taking North Carolina State and Syracuse, you are rolling. But next week is your first loss. Give me North Carolina State. Give me Syracuse, which will give me the outright lead if all of it goes right. Hey, you take the Cuse. You can you can take the fighting Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> all right, look, you got Mississippi State, Kentucky. Don't really know what the Kentucky situation is. They got a lot of people that didn't play last week. Don't know if Will Levis is going to play this week um but regardless of the fact there's a guy on the other on the other team by the name of will rogers who 
is going to sling it all over the place. I do think you know what he's going to do after he completes eight passes, Daniel? Eat a banana. No. Will Rogers will own the SEC completion record. Well, hey, that's – that. I mean, that's going to happen. That's no I know, just to, but that's just another cool thing for a guest that we, yeah. we've had on here. But, yeah, like I think Mississippi State um, is, is just firing on all cylinders right now. But with the question marks that you brought up of injuries, I mean, you don't even know if the quarterback's playing. Um, I think you got – I just got to go Mississippi State. Yeah. Randy took Mississippi State. I'm taking Mississippi State. And that brings us to the Pac-12 garbage trash ball game of the week at 10 p.m. that no one's going to stay up and watch. Which is wild because uh, are they both in the top ten? What was Utah's ranking? Utah is, I want to say, like mid-teens. Is it the bottom where you were at? Oh, oh 20, 20. So USC number seven, undefeated six and zero, taking on a four and two Utah team. Utah favorite by three and a half. That's that's crazy. I guess because they're at home. Um, but I'm jumping on the. I'm thinking I'm going to make my parlay this week. Oh, you, you jumping on Utah? You take? No, I'm U- jumping on USC because I like that three and a half line. Are you take? So you're taking USC to win it? Yep. Randy's taking USA. I'm taking USC. I mean, if if the games that we pick identical stay true and the other game, oh, it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be a great week. So, well, so, yeah, look, check it. If, if our other ones can go right at the very minimum, so we'd be in a tie, and then either I'm going to take the lead or you're going to take the lead. What, like, So either Randy's fixing to be way ahead or – Possibly I could be up by one, or you could be up by one. This could be wild. It, this is going to be wild. So, speaking of wild, let's uh, let's move over to NFL. Um, you know, I, I got to recap the Cowboys. Um, you know, it's, it is wild. It is absolutely wild to know the backup quarterback is playing at a level that probably a lot of people didn't expect him to play. And and it's not that he's doing anything super crazy, but what impresses me is the poise to go into L.A. and win. Um, yeah, you know, Aaron Donald did his thing, got a few sacks, and, and, and he got, you know, roughed up, but he was able to hold true, stay true, make passes when he needed, and the run game was, was a lot better. Um, but Here's the thing, and and I think we both can agree to this, that that Dallas defense is just stout. Like, there's, they are what's keeping them in the game and giving them the opportunities to win these games. I don't think the defense is the sole winner of these games, but I believe that they are allowing Cooper Rush and the offense a lot of flexibility. And, um, you know, there were there was talk that Mike McCarthy should be in the coach of the year conversation. I don't know if I'm there yet, but but I'm close. So, Jim, what do you what did you think about the Cowboys? What are you thinking about Cooper Rush and his ability to, to win games? And, you know, are is this even a, a contest next week if Dak is 
eligible and able to play. You know, we talk about traditionally defense wins championships. Um, you look at teams like um, I think it's the 2000 Ravens, the 2002 Buccaneers, teams that pounded the rock, played amazing defense, and then had quarterbacks in Dilfer and Brad Johnson who um, weren't flashy quarterbacks, but they didn't make mistakes. They did just enough of what they needed to do. And I think Cooper Rush fits that mold because since he's been quarterback, we've talked about it, um, Dallas is, is making rushing the ball a priority. And when you got two backs like they do, and you look at the explosion that Pollard had this week, and, you know, Zeke and him both had a, a big week the week before, I think it makes things less complicated. It just really does. It's very simple. We're going to run the ball. Um, we're going to ask Cooper Rush to do very minimal, just enough um, to move the sticks at times, maybe make a big shot downfield if you have to. But um, we're going to lean on our defense. We're going to lean on our run game. And, you know, the chemistry is just its just jiving. You know me. Me and you have talked about it. We, we've been at war for Dak. We're Dak guys. But, man, you just – I don't know. There's something to say about the the chemistry and the way that they're playing. And if you switch the quarterback, does it mess up what you got going? I don't know. Um, all I know is when you put up – when your defense puts up zeros in the second half against a Rams team, that's saying something. Um, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see the decision that's made. Like, I think I'm okay with either one. I can see the value in both guys, and I can see the the choice if either of those two would make. Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's even a thought process in the decision. I think, regardless of what I just said about Cooper Rush, and if I was the decision maker, that'd be who I'd be. But you said this to me already. Dak Wake makes way too much money to be put on the bench. And that's going to be probably the deciding factor. We did not pay him all this money for him to sit on the bench behind Cooper Rush. And, you know, maybe this is the best thing that could have happened for Cooper Rush to win these four games and then go back to the bench. And somebody's going to want to pay him. That uh, that happened for one, um, for one Teddy Bridgewater at the well, Saints. Yeah, but also – Dallas is probably going to want to pay them him as well to be a backup because with the track record that Dak has, you need a solid backup. You just don't know. Um, so speaking of, of you just don't know needing a solid backup, Saints, they got Andy Dalton starting, but the backup to the backup, also got involved and had a great game. So talk to us a little bit about the Saints, where they are. Um, obviously, you know, looked better. I mean, they it's it's easy easy on paper to go. Oh, they they won, but they played a a bad Seahawks. But I think the, the well, game the Seahawks was offense has been electric all right. season. But but I think what it is is. The they gave the Saints gave up points and defensively they're a mess. They they got to get better, but I think they played overall better. They looked better. Yeah. So obviously, it's only fitting 
that I'm watching LSU soccer and baseball live and not a Saints game. Um, I can honestly say it's probably just on a guess. It's been five years since I missed the Saints game, Daniel. I, I skipped church last week to watch the London game because it was early Sunday morning. Like, I just don't miss Saints games. And I literally made the joke um, to my wife. I may even send it to you. I said, they'll probably win because I'm not watching. Um, it's not even just that they won. Um, my favorite player had the day of his life. Like, he didn't just have three rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown. He had a fumble recovery and 66 return yards, Daniel. Crush it, man. Dude, it's, it's the most unheard of thing. But let me tell you. So one of the cool things about leaving um, Baton Rouge right after the Saints game was I got to listen to Deuce McAllister and T. Bob Abear on the the local radio break this thing down and talk about it. And so that's why I'm able to give insight even with only seeing highlights. And I couldn't have agreed more with everything they said. So you know how much I want to get Taysom Hill involved, right? They said Andy Dalton has not only looked better than Winston just in general, but Andy Dalton doesn't have a problem with Taysom Hill coming in at any point in time and taking the quarterback position, rotating in and out. Like, he just wants to be involved, whereas Winston wants to be the guy. So not only do you have Dalton that's been looking better, you have a guy who will – share the time with Taysom Hill to where you can use the Taysom Hill experiment, which has shown over X amount of seasons works. So I think that T-Bob and Deuce both said that needs to be the plan going forward. But let me tell you something about Dalton specifically. And we've talked about this. So Kamara was, you know, considered a top three back with Breeze. And it wasn't because of necessarily his running. It was his receiving. He led the leg, league in receptions like two out of three seasons. The one he didn't was the one McCaffrey did as a running back. Um, he had six catches for 91 yards and a touchdown. For whatever reason, um, you know, Winston doesn't use him that way. Doesn't like to drop it off. You know how Winston is. He likes to fire it downfield, go for the big play. Um, sometimes it's just as simple, Daniel, as dropping it off to your best player and letting him do his thing. And he clearly gets that, and he knows how to use Kamara. And so when you talk about the Taysom thing, and when you talk about the Kamara thing, um, that's a big deal. Now, the problem going forward into next week, Daniel, and obviously we're not talking about next week's games yet, but um, you know this, you have one of the guys, Alave's in concussion protocol, and Thomas, um, you know, you never know week to week if he's going to play, but he's, he didn't play this past week. He's hurt. Um, if neither of those two guys can go, man, Taysom and Kamara are not like, they ain't got a damn receiver one except for Callaway left. Yeah. Um, Cause Landry's out too. You better bring some folks up from the practice squad. Something that are, that are, you know, you're going to have to put Ingram in the backfield and make Kamara receiver. I don't know, something. But, um, yeah, it's a good win. And that, that Seattle offense, man, I'll tell you, you know, just to bring fantasy into it, you know, Russell Wilson's been a bum. I thought about playing Geno this week. I told you that. I thought about picking up playing, but I was like, I'm not going to root against the Saints. Geno has been phenomenal all year. DK has been DK-like. 
they've been able to run the ball successfully for last week. It was Rashad Penny. This week it was Kenneth Walker. Like the Seattle offense is great. Their defense is just terrible. And that's unfortunately why they got the losses they do, but um, you got to give Gino a shout out. And when you look at what Russell Wilson's doing in Denver, I mean, the Seattle organization and Pete Carroll look like, you know, they obviously knew what they're doing. They got out from under that huge contract and Gino's giving them more than Russell is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very easy to see that Gino is. I mean, they're they're two and three. They're not beating the world, but Gino is 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 not hurting them. I mean, they they've if I'm not mistaken, I think they've lost all three by like one possession or at least single digits. Like so, I mean, yeah. they're they're a good team. They're they're not a team that you really, you just want to see on your schedule. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to the the next game we'll we'll talk about, which is the ravens and the Bengals, and like the Bengals aren't a team that you want to see but yet they aren't quite playing at the level that they played last year um, well i'm on the fence about joe burrow and and chase and i think i'm just a little bitter because i have them on my fantasy team and it's not that they're playing bad they're just not putting up the same numbers they did last year which they put up unbelievable numbers last year for me to believe that they're going to repeat those numbers is is a tough task but i mean that's that's kind of where i'm at and you know I, i feel like the Bengals have had opportunities in the past few weeks to win games and they just haven't been able to. Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, we were talking about Memphis earlier and we're talking about coaching. Um, and there's a reason I wanted to talk about this game. Um, I can easily, easily put sole responsibility on Zach Taylor for this game. Um, starting with the opening drive right out the gate. Um, he goes two pass plays and a trick play. Um, doesn't even give Mixon the ball. Then the second series, uh, you know, he gives Mixon the ball one time. He gets a great carry, and then um, does so you know just starts airing it out. Well, it's not until they're down ten nothing that they start going to Mixon, and they give Mixon the ball like four times straight times, and he's just they can't stop him right. And then um, they score. So it's like, okay, it's clearly the formula, right? Like, um, he he threw – Burrow threw the touchdown to, to Hayden Hurst, but they ran the ball the majority of the drop. So it was clear. It's like, okay, we got to pound the rock. Well, then the next series they come out, and there he is again, just not handing the ball to Mixon. So there's that part of it. There's the play calling. Well, then let's fast forward to later in the game. You're down 13 to 10. And you decide you, you got first and goal on the two. You don't give it to Mixon then. Um, you throw a pass, um, don't score a touchdown. Um, second and two or second goal from two, you think you'll run it then. They call a trick play again. Try to do a Tyler Boyd pass to Joe Burrow. Stupid. And so then third down, you know, uh you, you know, I forgot how it went down. Um, they lost. I can't. I can't remember. Anyway, long story short, it ends up being fourth, in, or or maybe the trick play. I can't remember. They somehow went backwards and then got back to the two. Anyway, um, you know, at that point, if you've had three plays and you couldn't get in from the two, 
you kick the field goal, right, Daniel? It's pretty simple. Yeah. Like, like, but he doesn't, and he goes for it again. And it was another terrible play call, and so they end up, um, you know, turning over on downs. The significances of this is they uh, end up losing to a last-second Justin Tucker field goal, as, you know, they had to, the Bengals had to lead late. And there's nothing worse than a Baltimore team with the ball last and the best field goal kicker maybe ever. Um, dude sees a 60-yard kicker and salivates and knows that he's going to put it right down the middle. Um, and so he kicks that kick to win. And all I can think about is how he didn't take that field goal earlier. So his decision not to run the ball, his bad play calling down the goal line area, and then not kicking the field goal, I feel like that loss was completely on um, Zach Taylor. And then as far as, you know, your feelings about Joe Burrow, um, I mean, he still got no time. I mean, the sacks weren't as big because, I mean, he still got a lot. He still got sacked a bunch. But, you know, he's just – he's finally getting smart and just getting rid of the damn ball. But, I mean, um, I got to listen to Collinsworth talk about the replacement offensive lineman. And, you know, he was calling them out specifically by name and how this guy was supposed to do this and this guy was it. Dude, I don't know what the deal is and why Joey B can't get protection. Well, because – he ain't Tom Brady. And I, mm. I guess I'll give you the floor now to transition to that uh, rough in the passer call that Tom Brady gets late in the game against the Falcons. It's a tight game. Um, you know, the Bucks allowed the Falcons to get back in the game. They go down, they score a touchdown late. Uh, Bucks get the ball back. They get a roughing the passer call, which extends the drive um, and really inevitably closes the game down for the Bucks to win. But Jim, you know, you're you're a rules guy, you're a referee, you know, you know, not hater, but you just want them to make the right calls. Um, you saw the play. Obviously, you don't agree with it, I'm sure. Um, as, um so I li- most people don't. I listened to the call live. Um, both commentators were in complete disbelief. They had your boy, who you had a video sent to me, give his opinion. Gene Steratore said absolutely. Um, nothing, um, extra, no slamming to the ground. It was just a good clean sack. That was the protection of Tom Brady. And the reason it bothers me so much, um, we see Tom get protected, um, all the time, but the Falcons were going to get the ball back with three twenty-three um, left and a chance to win. And you took that away from them with a garbage call and it went so as far today daniel that it was actually my wife who showed me the clip drew Brees straight through shade without using tom brady's name at all he uh showed a different roughing the passer call from a different game this week i forgot what game specifically where he says the league has got to do something because there are plays like this that are affecting the outcomes of the game when these are clearly not penalties and for drew to speak on a game that had nothing to do with him. I know that he was directly throwing shade at that play without talking to drew myself, but that play, you saw it, you saw the play. That's a clean sack, dude. If, if that's Dallas, if that, if that's your boy, if you, if you see, if you see him getting a sack like that and they call rough in the passer, you're losing your mind. Let me ask you this. If Aaron Donald is making that tackle, does he get flagged there? 
Yeah, I think anybody gets flagged because it's Tom Brady. Fair enough. I, I don't. I don't think Aaron Donald, even as a what three-time defensive player of the year, I still don't think he carries the cloud. But I just, I, I'm so ready for that guy to to be out of the league because I just he's always been catered to. He's still amazing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not. But it almost tarnishes how amazing he is because it makes you dislike not you personally, me dislike him more. Well, let's see if you dislike this more. Let's let's get to last week's picks. Let's talk about them and see where we stand. So Colts Broncos opened up the, the play last week. We all took the Broncos and we all lost. I my favorite. There's been the meme that goes around and says everyone should get a free month of Amazon Prime if you watch that game. And I I I, I mean, agree. You you know what this week's Thursday night game is, right? It'll be better. I don't care. I've seen it. Yeah, it's it's, it's Washington and um the, uh, the Bears. The no, Bears. No, no offense, Mike, but I don't think that's gonna be a, the, a somebody I bet somebody will score a touchdown. Probably. I'm not I, I'm not gonna be partaking in Washington. I'm not either, but man, seven field goals, Daniel. Yeah, come on, man. You're right. So, have we, you ever seen? Let me ask you this: Have you ever seen fans of the home team leave and head for the exits as overtime's beginning? Because they showed it and talked about it on air, and it was the wildest thing. Like, uh, uh it, you know, um, Kirk Herbstreit. You know, Kirk Herbstreit was on the call, right? You know, typical college guy. Anyway. I, I I just would like to have a personal conversation with him because he was laughing while commentating on it. He goes, this is just wild. I, I want to know what his, like, true thoughts were. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, it's unbelievable. Shows you what kind of fans they got out there. In I would I would have – I don't know, man. Dude, Russell Wilson was that bad. He he's, was pretty bad. He's no longer going to get start for me in fantasy. I gave him too many chances. They're done. Well, there you go. Um, I got a trade. I got I – got, Joe Burrow's on the trading block. Jamar Chase is on the trading block. I got Kirk Cousins floating around on my bench, man. Like, I got guys. Just let me know. But, um, you know, moving through our picks, Saints and Seahawks, you're the only one that bleeds in your team. You're the only one that got a point for that. Um, unfortunately, that was the only point that you got this week because um, you took the Browns over the Chargers. Randy and I took the Chargers. We got points for that. And, and that one and that one hurt because my boy Caden yeah. worked the rookie from uh, LSU missed the kick to win the game. Mm. Yep. You took the Rams over the Cowboys. Randy and I both took the Cowboys. Uh, we both got points for that. You took the Bengals. Randy and I took the Ravens, and we all took the Chiefs. So um at the at the end of the week, uh Jim, you um Yeah, two points, man. Mm-mm. You got two points. Uh, Randy had one, two, three, four, and I had one, two, three, four. So the, the pro standings, the pro standings are Randy's in first with 14. Jim, you're in second with 13 and I'm in third with 11. I have relinquished my lead, man. Damn. I had a big lead too. When you add up all of our pickums from college and and pro on the season, Randy's in first with 35. Jim, you are in second with 32. And I am in third with 30. But as I always say, 
this week is a new week. It's a long season, too. Anything could happen. So let's get to it. The picks. Bengals, Saints, Jim, I got to know. Who are you taking? Taking the Saints, man. You're going to go with the Saints. Um, As in the college, Randy sent in his picks already. He's going Bengals, and I'm going to go Bengals. So you're the only one taking the Saints. You could pick up a game here. Uh, Jaguars and Colts. Who you got? Jaguars. You know, this was one where I wanted really bad to go Jaguars, but I didn't for some strange reason. So I'm going Colts. Um, Randy's also going Colts. I Ravens and Giants. I just the Giants keep winning games. They, exactly. And I feel like they're that luck is gonna run out, but it hasn't. But I can't I can't want a team in the Cowboys division to win a game. So I'm gonna go Ravens. Randy went Ravens. Who you taking, Jim? You gonna, gonna go with Ravens. the G-Man? No, I'm going no. Ravens. Ravens. Vikings and Dolphins. I mean, this is an easy pick for me. There's a lot of issues going on. Uh, Teddy B is no longer active. He's under concussion protocol. Tua is out. I don't know who's leading the ship down there in Miami, so give me the Vikings. Yeah, give me the Vikings. Yep. Randy's taking the Vikings. Here comes that one, though. Oof, oof. Bills and Chiefs. The next two games are going to be really cool. Um, Bills and Chiefs. I'll make it simple. Give me the Bills. I think this might be the time where Josh Allen actually, you know, beats, you know, Mahomes, but beats him convincingly. Who does Randy have? Randy has the Bills. Shit. Go go ahead and go Chiefs. It ain't I mean it, it ain't a bad pick. <laughs> Clearly not. But man, the 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 Chiefs losing to the Colts and then they could have lost to the the Raiders a minute ago. Just so you know, the Raiders uh decided to go for two instead of tying the game. Um and it didn't work out. Um but could have won. And then so the 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 Chiefs Lost to the Colts and just only one by one. So they're not just absolutely dominating like you'd like to see to pick them to go beat the Bills, but it is at home. I need a point. Oh, I got the Bills picked to win the damn Super Bowl. This is weird. Give me Chiefs. I mean, if you weren't going to pick the Chiefs, if you weren't going to pick them in any other scenario, like I don't foresee you ever trying to, to make a, a different pick. Cowboys and Eagles. I have gone Cowboys every week except for one. And they proved me wrong. And I I corrected that on week one. And here we are. Boom. Give me the Cowboys. Randy's taking the Eagles. Who you got? The boys. Them boys. Cowboys. I, I am that. I mean. The Bills, like you said, those last two games, 
The Bills Chiefs is obviously an intriguing matchup, but it's one we've seen before. And what I mean is those teams are are pretty much the same two teams. This Cowboys Eagles thing is a is a is a different thing because you got a Cowboys defense like we're talking about, and you got an Eagles offense that's explosive. And so um something's got to give. And so this this is gonna be an interesting game because um will the Cowboys be able to contain Jalen Hurts? Yeah. Is in the air. I, I would love to see Micah. I don't. I don't have anything personal against Hurts. I'm not saying I want him hurt, but I would love to see Micah Parsons absolutely just stroke him when he tried to take off a run. I hope Parsons is 100. percent He was kind of banged up uh, in the last game, but I mean, he never he stayed in the game. 80 percent Parsons is better than 90 percent of the league, brother. Uh, I agree with that. Um, you know what else I agree with? Hmm. Brandon Johnson was a good interview. Absolutely. Really what, a, what a great dude, a great episode. Um, you know, I think we're going to, you know, I, I say this all the time, but like it, it's true. These guys are quality guys. These, these athletes that we have, they're, they're athletes that I can envision being at the next level. And when I think about the Royals organization and what Brandon brings to it, like, why not? Why wouldn't we be able to see him, you know? Um, playing you know for the royal suited up one day and you know and you know daniel he said you know you probably a lot of your guests don't you know do the the junior college thing like I me mean, you know and we talked about how we learned that pool holes went to junior college and what what brandon don't know is we've had a lot of those guys dude he, it's amazing these stories and that's why we do this man like we like every guy we don't talk to isn't dylan cruz right like I mean, there are so many of these guys that have had to work their behind off to get to where they're at and then get to the SEC and then ultimately end up playing pro ball. So you got guys who had minimal offers and had to just take what they could get, and now look where they are. It's crazy. Yeah, it was a uh, crazy story, a great story. And if you like hearing Brandon Johnson's story or you just like hearing us average Joe's talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook, retweet us on Twitter, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback is always welcome. We'll see everybody for the next episode. We got number 20 on the season coming at you. We're going to be talking LSU baseball with the hottest and I mean the hottest transfer in college baseball, Tommy White. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, straight and grind all the time. We out.